Avengers, assemble. In the wake of Endgame, some were lost, others regained. They're good. What happens next? Stay tuned, true believers, as we try to find out. Peter Melnick. Graphic designer, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator, and I'm Eddie Wilson. Upstate New York radio announcer in the Sullivan Catskills, with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. Ready? It's time for a new episode of The Marvelists. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Before we get into the usual rigmarole of today's episode and introducing Patricio Rabaya, which I technically just did, we're going to let you all know at home how you can listen to us on a wide variety of listening platforms as well as finding us on social media. If that is what you are inclined to do. Okay, go. First off, go on TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, etc., etc. As long as you can get an RSS feed running on that bad boy, you can listen to us. And we're on all iOS and Android devices. Again, if you can have an RSS feed, we'll be there. Then go on iTunes where you can rate, review, subscribe, and share. Let the world know you're liking this show. Let the world know that we assure you that we do not suck. That's my little selling point when I talk to potential guests for the show. I assure you, we don't suck. On top of that, you can find us on social media, Twitter and Facebook, at The Marvelists. Give us a like-ski on there. Give us a follow-ski. All of that good stuff. And then on Facebook, go to facebook.com slash The Marvelists. On top of that, we have our individual social media because, I don't know, if you want to see our rambling bullshit, you can do that. I don't know. Beep. But <laughs> you can find myself on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Melnick and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Peter Melnick Podcaster. But remember, there is only one place on the worldwide interwebs to find Eddie Wilson, and that is on Instagram. And Eddie, that handle is at Eddie nine one nine three. So yeah, again, day ninety five and three quarters of quarantine mania. Can't and count. It's just it's all rolling together, Eddie. I, I've. I'm starting to bleed colors now. There's a green and blue. I don't know why. This is what happens with self-isolation. Okay. Exactly. But one of the things, again, we've been doing is watching a lot of Disney+. Plus. Myself, I wanted to do earlier this week, on this episode, in this recording week, we did a Spider-Man 1981, which eh, was okay. We had Stu on the line. Stu enjoyed it. Stu thought it was okay, much like each member of this episode did. Mm -hmm. But this week, for this episode, we have another Spider-Man-related episode, and it's from my childhood. The year of our Lord in 1994, although it says on Disney Plus 1995, I don't know why that is, but it's a 1994 show because I remember being in kindergarten and watching that. Man, that really dates myself. Yeah, but, because that's what you do in kindergarten? Not me. Oh, man. Well, watch Spider-Man? I watched... Oh, come on. Okay, I didn't know that was such a learning tool. All right. I would imagine, yeah. But, well, I have Power Rangers. Okay, fine. That's a, that's a great learning tool. How uh, to punch uh, things in the head. But, Spider-Man 1994. And with this episode... There's a person on the line that has been wanting to return to the show. He was on our Captain America Civil War episode two years ago. 
And as a matter of fact, if I'm 100% correct, I'm probably wrong. I sometimes can be. We're not all perfect. But two years ago, I believe, to the week, maybe, I don't know, but the person on the line was on our Captain America Civil War episode. And he's back now. We've been trying to find the right time to bring him on, and I felt this would be perfect. This would be perfect to bring him on because this episode features the Hobgoblin, and the Hobgoblin is voiced by somebody who is primarily known for his work at the Distinguished Competition as the voice of the Joker, Mark Hamill. No, we don't have Mark Hamill on the line. God, I wish. But we have the next best thing. He is a Jedi Knight. He is a reporter. He is all those things combined in one. He's also Batman. And the dead. Patricio Robayo. Hello, hello, hello. I tell you what, if we had Mark Hamill, he would have hung up with that long intro. Yeah, at first I was hearing it. I was like, who the, hell, who the heck is he talking about? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But do you like the way... You. I like the intro where Patricio Robayo came, like, really low. After everything <laughs> else, it was, like, anticlimactic. So I apologize, Patricio, especially since you know Peter, I think, <laughs> maybe longer than I do. <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> Now, this episode we're covering is the two-parter, the Hobgoblin storyline, which was episodes number 11 and 12. Correct. We, we went a little bit longer for this one. We wanted to do both because, yeah, we could do one episode, but kind of like Pringles, you can't just pop one. You've got to keep going. And then you end up getting diabetes because of all the carbs and the bread and everything, or the potatoes. But That was so bad, on many levels. <laughs> on many, yes. But... With this, we get to see Marvel's version of what they could do with a two-parter storyline in the 1990s. I'm a fan. I think this was a phenomenal episode. Was it the absolute greatest of the Spider-Man series? No. But again, for what this is, it's pretty damn good. You know what? In looking at this, I had seen, and of course, another Spider-Man title, maybe other episodes, or some other... Production element, maybe the same people who put it out, that that another series comes to mind, and I can't even remember what it was, but it's just that style of animation, of the way the figures move, that reminded me of another. And I said, I've seen something like this before. Maybe it was the same thing, a different episode, but I don't know if there's anything else that might come to mind. For me, uh, uh, 94, what was that in 94? I believe I was in high school. I must have been my sophomore year in high school. And, and I wouldn't say I was a fan of the show. I don't remember watching it a lot. Uh, I was more into, at that time, uh, there was a better cartoon out there, I believe, uh, called Batman the Animated Series. Mm-hmm. Ooh, so, uh, ooh, I was uh, enthralled by that. And I was uh, sort of uh, uh, liking the animation there. So anything outside of, uh, outside of that, I wasn't a, a fan of. Right, your interest just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. No. The animation bothered me. It bothered me in this episode. But, you know, that was the 90s, and that, that's the best you can do at the time, I guess. Well, when well, you compare it to uh, to 81, I mean, I think we've made some progress. And, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, that, of course, of course. Well, one of the things about this with the animation that really caught my eye is the fact I'm watching it in HD. I actually I procured a copy of Spider-Man the Animated Series on Blu-ray, so I wasn't even watching my Disney Plus version of it. <laughs> But it's very, very uh, smooth in terms of how it looks. But what I mean when I say that is blurry in some parts. And not blurry in terms of visual quality, but like 
the colors blend into each other and it's still crisp and clear, but it just felt like they were, they drew something and then they redrew it. Like the 1960s uh, Warner Brothers cartoons where they would do the recoloring and the retracing of the black and whites. So it just, it felt a little weird seeing that. And I actually, I immediately went from my uh, Blu-ray version over the Disney Plus version and I'm looking at it close and I'm like, oh, this is how it's supposed to look. It's not a redrawn, but this is how it looked back then. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't know. I, I, again, I love the voice acting. I love the writing. And I love the direction. But I am in agreement. There is a lot of elements about this that there are parts where it doesn't hold up still. Compared to what we have now, of course, it's not going to hold up. But I feel it stands in a league of its own, you know, where Tom Hanks is, doing baseball with ladies and there's it, no crying <laughs> there's no crying it, it's 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 its own thing you know and that's what i like about it but again just the animation it has not aged that well but it compared to everything else eh, i'll give i'll give them a little bit more credit well but, like like the movies take liberties with the way characters are developed and so on part of what i noticed was how the idea in the first half, the first episode, number 11, of Peter possibly rooming with Harry and him saying, well, you're more Flash's friend. How come you don't ask him? That kind of thing. And I thought the relationship was more solid than that. So they changed the dynamic, I think, a little bit. Yeah. To make it fit well, the not- episode or, you know, yeah. Another thing I did like about this episode was, of course, we'd be remiss if we don't talk about the theme song. Okay. And the theme song is done by a famous guitarist, a legendary 1970s rock band. I'm, of course, talking about Patricio Robaio's favorite band, U2. No, I'm talking about legendary 70s band Aerosmith. And it's done by the guitarist, Joe Perry. And They know that. No, I wasn't yeah, looking at the credits that closely, but you said Aerosmith. I thought, wait a minute, they did a Spider-Man theme version in the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. So wait a minute, another they repeat? Did. Yeah. That was, honestly, that was probably why they approached Aerosmith in 2002, mm. because they, did, you know, Joe Perry himself did a great job on this theme song in 94. And I didn't know that by looking at the credits. I just remember somebody pointed it out years and years ago. And now it's just been stuck in my brain. And as a result, I feel this might very well be one of the best Spider-Man theme songs. Now, I, I, while you were talking, I was looking in, in, into, the, uh, into the interweb, and, uh, and you are correct. It is Joe Perry, but he didn't well, write thank it. Thank you for the fact-checking. Yes, apparently someone else wrote it, and he just performed it. So Correct. Yeah, I kind of, when listening to it, both, I guess, the intro and outro, trying to place what I know as the original Spider-Man theme, and it's it's got hints of that, so uh, nuances of it. It's not slamming you over the head or the ears overly with it, but uh, it, it's okay. It, it holds up all right for what it is. I like it much more than the Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Oh, that's sorry. because of my personal bias of this was my childhood, this yeah. is my Spider-Man. Yeah. So for yourself, you're of the Spider-Man, Spider-Man, and I understand that and respect that. You're Again, it's it's one of those, you're allowed to like a thing, you know? It's clobbering time. Now, now, for someone who hasn't 
you know, lived with the shows of my childhood and things like that. This is really probably maybe the first two episodes I fully watched of this whole Spider-Man series in the 90s. Uh, yeah. I, I, it wasn't a memorable theme to me. I, I didn't stand. I didn't, I'm not humming it after I'm, um, you know, after I stopped watching it. No. It wasn't stuck in my head. Uh, to be honest, it's the second episode. Uh, <clears throat> I just skipped the intro. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm one of those controversial ones. I watch X-Men: The Animated Series, and I press the skip intro button every single time. And I realize that's sacrilege with the da 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 da. Oh, but, the Batman. Yeah, you, I don't know why you're doing that. that that's like uh, you know. Well, I'm talking about X-Men, the animated series. I, I do the same with Batman, to be honest, because I just want to get into the meat and the potatoes of the episode. And you possibly, to... you possibly and probably already know it backwards and forwards, so it's, exactly. in, it's ingrained. You know what it is. It's, nothing's going to change it. What I was interested to see with the intro of the episodes were the amount of villains yes. that, were, that were there, and I said, oh, you know, um, I wonder, where, where did the Punisher come into this? And, oh, geez, I just had a name... And I just went right out that I said, well, where'd that one, where'd they pull that one that we're trying to develop that character? I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I agree with that one. That, that's one thing that caught my mind was, uh, was the amount of, of characters they had in the intro. And I was like, wow, it actually brought me in. I said, maybe I want to check this out because, like I said, the Punisher. I was excited to see the Punisher there. Yeah. So. Well, one of the people that shows up in this is everyone's favorite anti-hero. And I'm not talking about the Punisher, but I'm talking about Venom. And Venom shows up right before the Spider-Man name shows up, which almost makes it look like, oh, Venom's the star of this show. No. It's not. <laughs> but what I like about that is it's showing, hey, he's in here too. You kids like Venom, right? Mm. And this is at the height of Spider-Man with his popularity because we're in a post-Todd McFarlane, post-Eric Larson, currently Mark Bagley world, and Spider-Man is one of the top titles at the time. So to see a character like Venom, who's also, he's on, you know, all the comics, he's on all of the t-shirts, he's on all of the merchandise, it makes sense to have him as one of the key focal points in this. And again, like, uh, I just can't, I can't backtrack and see who, who else was, uh, was in there. I remember Scorpion was in there. Yes, okay. Mm-hmm. And one of the things also, he... If I'm correct, he's not in this episode, but I was. I would have loved to have seen the J. Jonah Jameson, who was played by the great Ed Asner. Mm. And you would think with this series, oh, we're gonna we're just gonna have a bunch of you know well-known voice actors, whatever, just like regular everyday voice actors that you know John Q. Public isn't gonna know, but if you're a hardcore animation fanatic, you'll know so and so's in here, so and so's in here. But instead, this series. They're throwing in actual actors, actual, you know, Hollywood names like an Ed Asner, which is really cool to see. Well, part of it was budgetary things and availability, I'm sure. And I think uh, I only remember one, maybe a couple of scenes of that first part that we watched where Jameson is there and says, where's Parker? you got to get a good picture of me. And it's, it's one of those with, as, I would say Asner is phenomenal in the role of J. Jonah Jameson, and apparently... His portrayal is part of what inspired J.K. Simmons' portrayal of the character in Spider-Man 2002, mm-hmm. 2004, and 2007. Mm-hmm. So you can see a lot of the elements of what make that version great in this version. What I think I was a little disappointed, I'm thinking about some of the things that went hap- what happened during the two-part episode. Hobgoblins, uh, pumpkin bombs, all did the same thing. They just blew up to create a lot of smoke. Uh, they they you know br- brought down parts of buildings, but weren't there 
other things that these things could do? I don't mean the buzz saws that he shot out to, but I mean probably. Glad it could help. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I thought there was more tech involved in this stuff. But he was right, you know, he the Spider Man character did have the quips that we know him for and saying that I know small countries that have uh, less of an arsenal than he does or something. Right. But he is one thing. I was shocked that he ran out of uh, webbing in the middle of his thing. Doesn't he always have like a arsenal? I don't know. Um, no, that has happened on occasion, yeah. whether it be in the original 67 series, that all of a sudden he's got no more webs, and that's the thing you least expect, and there's no gauge anywhere on his wrist that is saying, you know, low replenish or something like that. So I thought he that was that. good to put that in there. You see, this would never happen to Batman. So, anyhow. <laughs> uh, back well, to he the... needs plenty of prep time, apparently, to yeah. you know, do anything. <laughs> uh, before we started recording... Uh, Peter and I were talking a little bit about recognizing Mark Hamill and possibly from not seeing him as the Joker in that series. I, I If I focused on it and remembered, yes, Mark Hamill is the voice. I heard his voice coming through because I only know him primarily as Luke Skywalker. But there were other times where I'm like, no, I didn't recognize that it was him. And yeah, I mean, I, like I, I just said, I, I, you know, I know him obviously as from Star Wars, and uh, he does have that, and obviously the Joker in the Batman anime series, and he, he has that little uh, Joker laugh, and sometimes, and you know, you could tell it's sort of like a quasi weird Joker, but as also just his voice, because any any time he does another character, is always sounds like a different version of Joker. Um, mm. I, I mean, yeah, wise, I think he trickster. did a good job. I think he always plays a good villain. Um, uh, Story wise, you know. I wasn't blown away by the story. Uh, one thing I, I took away from it was, uh, I don't know when cartoons stopped doing this, but um, there was a message at the end. And it was always like, you know, I guess you had to take care of the loved ones or something's more important, something like that. I, I, maybe got, the message got lost to me, but it, it wasn't like out there, but it, there was like a message at the end. And I noticed like uh, animated series or cartoons night. nowadays don't really do that anymore. Uh, I happened to watch recently an uh, uh, old episode of He-Man, and they really go out there. It's like at the end, you're like, "Hey, kids, this is why you do this." Blah 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 blah. And he, you know, break the fourth wall and look at the camera and everything. Um, so it was, it was fun to see that that this this cartoon had sort of like a message at the end. Yeah, without looking to the audience type of thing. And there was yes, a message with that, like Peter, you were saying, taking care of Aunt May and not moving out because she cried in in private in that first episode again. But then when we got to the end of it, uh, she was she was happy. She she came around. Uh, I was like, wow, she's not recovering. She's you know all throughout the the two parts. She's just borderline comatose or whatever in in the whole thing. And you know, good thing of course she comes out of it and says to Peter, you know, it's good that you're going to be back and don't know if you'd be able to take care of yourself. And it, you know, on a happy note, it ends. And one thing that I recently saw like, a discussion of pertaining to Spider Man was in regards to Aunt May. And one of the things about Aunt May in her various portrayals, which is the version of Aunt May you like? And what I mean by that is, do you like the Aunt May where she knows he's Spider-Man, fully knows it, and they acknowledge it, he knows, she knows? Do you like the Aunt May where she pretends she doesn't know, but she knows? And then there's, of course, the classic Stan Lee, Steve Ditko version where She's a bumbling idiot that has no idea what's going on and hates Spider-Man stuff. And with this, I kind of get impressions that maybe she does know that Peter is Spider-Man. From this animated cartoon? Yeah. 
I don't know. I don't know if they hint at that or if she's just going along with what he has to say to her. But uh, I noticed how he was dismissive of Mary Jane when he says, can you watch Aunt May for a few minutes? But Peter White, boom, the door shuts. And he was like blowing her off, which I guess he kind of did in the comic books too. But but with Aunt May, yeah, I don't know that, I don't think she really she really knows. I grew up, of course, with the Stanley Steve Ditko version and I'm, you know, attached in a sense to the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies with that portrayal of Aunt May. So I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with her knowing but she does, in the Toby movies, she does know, but she won't acknowledge that she knows he's Spider-Man. Like, there's that little, that unspoken thing, where she's just like, you have a responsibility. Now go get your spandex on. What, you mean where she says, oh, I threw those dreadful comic books away and all that speech part? Not, not that. Oh, okay. <laughs> but in regards to, like, number two and number three, she, she knows, he knows that she knows, but they're not going to say anything. Mm. Again, it's like an unspoken kind of thing in those movies, which I like that version. But then again, I'm even more so inclined to enjoy the, the version of Aunt May where she knows, like the uh, J. Michael Straczynski run, where they all know. She knows, and there's just that one issue where he goes, yeah, I'm Spider-Man. She just goes, yeah, I know. It's kind of obvious. You run off, you know. We thought you were just a wuss for a while, but then we're like, oh, Spider-Man's here. Oh. That's well, where the wuss went. Well, zoom this in further, because I don't know what period of time Straczynski run. 2001? Okay. Which, by the way, that storyline gets interrupted with Spider-Man number 36. It does. Okay, I was going to say. the, I would say the infamous 9-11 issue, where you have Doctor Doom, who wants to rule the world and kill all things, and yet he's crying over 9-11. So mm-hmm. it seems a little strange that Dr. Doom would be heartbroken about that, yet we know his modus operandi. So I digress. Yeah, yeah. But he's going to be sad about that. What? <laughs> anyway. What I, again, one of the other things about this, again, going back over to Mark Hamill, what I really liked is there are moments even when you see Hobgoblin, and maybe it's just me, maybe it's just my visual interpretation of this, but there's a scene where he's falling, and they have a zoomed-in shot of Hobgoblin's face, which almost looks like one of the facial expressions of the Joker from the Bruce Tim Paul Dini Batman. Well, and I, I really enjoyed that. I mean, I, I think I know what you're talking about in the second, ep- the second half, I think, correct? <laughs> Yeah, he okay. has like he has like that look, the way the nose looks for a second, the mouth, the eyes. I'm just like that's neat. That's a neat little callback to the distinguished competition stuff. It's probably not. Again, it's probably just me visualizing that and wanting that to be that. But that's what I got. Well, I wouldn't have thought of that if you hadn't mentioned it. But and I haven't seen the Joker impersonation because otherwise it would be just a total, pretty much total white face except for the lips mostly, as opposed Joker to this orangey well, uh, yellow character. Hamill's Joker is just his trickster from the 1990 John Wesley Ship Flash series, just slightly modified. Every kind of voice like that is his trickster just going up another octave. Well, his whole, when you first said about Hobgoblin falling, all I could think of was was uh, repeated shots, and you know a couple of them, whether it was sort of a close up or an actual falling type of thing, spinning possibly. And I was thinking, all right, some repetition going on here. You might not want to do too much of that, guys. 
Now, what did you guys think of the incorporation of Wilson Fisk, the King Tech? I, I thought it was good. I mean, as I said, I, I don't, I didn't watch the whole series, so I don't know whether he popped up in other episodes. I'm assuming he did. Um, but it, it sort of made sense with uh, Kingpin and uh, and uh, Osborne sort of being uh, dueling business partners, you know, or dueling businessmen. Well, I didn't watch any other episodes myself either, Patricio. So I'm right there with you. Um, but to get in these characters and get the audience familiar with their names and who they are is is a good thing. Uh, overall, I would say, without getting too confusing like what Spider-Man 3 was with putting too many characters into it and you, when you cross over into that uh, that medium. But I thought they, they kind of stood out on their on their own. I guess for just these two episodes that they were, Norman Osborn was just the business guy who was going to lose all his trade secrets, his life's work, if he gave up his inventions to Kingpin and so on. And nothing more than that. And, uh, you know, and Harry comes in as a sort of a sub or minor character player but kingpin and you also have was it Smythe, as well yes yeah um not, not too much as, as far as i can get out of his character knowing too much about him but kingpin being the businessman himself not really getting into anything um adversarial in terms of physical fighting or whatever that we know him for right well, one of the things on top of that that I appreciated with the usage of Wilson Fisk in this was we don't really get him to be a full-on villain in his introduction. We, You know, he's still highly regarded in the community. He's this, he's this. Yep. And, again, it, I like that that's the, it's the, uh, how do you say, the tip of the hat to the original source material. And I appreciate that. And then, you know, eventually he becomes more uh dastardly, more of a villain, etc., etc. And it's always funny to realize everyone associates Kingpin as a daredevil villain. And that's mostly because of the Frank Miller runs, because of the 2003 Daredevil movie, as well as the, I, I will say it, iconic Netflix series. We have this character, but yet he is originally in his origins and everything a Spider-Man villain. And by the way, on the topic of Daredevil, there was a post or a tweet the other day from Tom Brevoort at Marvel, and he's resharing this uh, Twitter account called Spinner Rack, which will every day post what are the comics that came out during this year on this day, during this year on this day, etc., etc. And he posted one from, I want to say, the early 80s. It was like a Dazzler book, two other ones, and then a copy of Daredevil, the iconic cover of Daredevil holding a gun, a gigantic gun. Yes. And it says, no more Mr. Nice Guy. And yes. he tweeted in there. He included this. And I asked him about it, and he said, yes. He goes, that cover actually uh, helped or caused ABC to abandon doing a pitch for an animated series. And I go, wait, you mean a Daredevil animated series? And he goes, yes. So because of that cover, ABC goes, no, we're not going to do this. So we almost had a Daredevil animated series at one point. In time. At that point, geez. And it, mm -hmm. it kind of makes me wonder, would it, have, would it have been done in the 1980s? Because at that point, Daredevil is a character where his early adventures, no, just ignore those. Daredevil does not get good until the tail end of the Roger McKenzie early Frank Miller run. And then from there, Daredevil has for the most part, been a continuously solid title. 
But if you're going with like a story in the 1980s, Daredevil is a character I would not want to do as a character for an animated series, at least during the 80s and 90s. 2000s, maybe, you could you know get away with a little bit more serious content, but I can't see Daredevil ever being an, an animated series in the 80s, 90s. Hmm, that's interesting. Well, just because his, the stories are too, like, real, or...? Too real, too adult. For example, the Born Again story. The story opens with Karen Page as a drug addict, former porn star, selling off Daredevil's identity to Wilson Fisk. And I realize, yes, you, with good writing, you can rewrite this and change it. But I feel you're doing a disservice to the storyline and everything by pretending these things didn't happen or trying to do something different when there was already a big enough impact with what they did in that previous storytelling. So, thank you for coming to my TED talk. Hey, yeah. it could have been uh, it could have been ahead of its time. The the uh, the, t- the timing wasn't right. Having the cover with that gun that was a drastic thing. Not only the fact that here's this uh, you know superhero holding a weapon that you know you typically don't have them doing, and given that particular angle, you're looking pretty much down the barrel of that gun. I vividly remember that as well. Uh, that it just wasn't the right time to to bring that over. Not and it wouldn't matter that you know the the uh, the writer the artist would say, well, we're not going to put the gun in the animated series, but it was just setting right. a bad precedent or something. I don't know. And one of the things about Spider-Man the animated series is you have so much content to go backwards towards and utilize that there is no need to rewrite anything, no need to uh, kidify it. You can just make it what it was. And that's what I like about this. You have so many key elements of the Spider-Man story where in Spider-Man 94, it is such a love letter to the source material that I'm always going to be a fan of this. And it's not just because of the childhood nostalgia, but because it was so well-written for its time that it still holds up, much like X-Men 92, much like Batman the Animated Series. All of these shows, and even... One that not many people will talk about, but I, I had a conversation with somebody about it recently. Superman the Animated Series is on par with Batman the Animated Series. There's no one's better than the other. They're both stellar, and they're both up there in the quote-unquote Mount Rushmore of animated superhero shows. And when was the Superman Animated Series out? 96 to 2000. Okay. And that's one of those, when I, when I saw the DVD was available, oh, you better believe I grabbed that. But I, w- I would also say to the people that go on saying Marvel does not put out much great animated content, the things are a prime time where all of this stuff was solid. Even the lesser stuff like Iron Man, Fantastic Four, Incredible Hulk, for the most part, are pretty good series. Now, also, you remember that the time period that this com- uh, this TV show came out. I I don't know uh, ninety. I can't remember ninety four. Was it? It started to uh, downturn the comic book world because ninety one. You know, X Men one came out, and you know everybody was buying you know ten thousand versions of the number one issue, and there was a big boom in comic books, and then it just went dead. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't, I'm what? assuming that the, the, this series sort of spawned out of that, and then the resurgence of comic books in the in the uh, in the, uh, you know, the common whatever. 
I'd also say, to be honest, one of the things about why these series are so good is they have, like, they came out at a time when there is a plethora of content to borrow from, from the original source material and incorporate into their stuff. And then on top of that, you also have a generation of adults working on animated series at this time who were raised on animation, you know, Saturday morning cartoons themselves, and they know, okay, this is what I like. I hated when they would do this on Saturday morning cartoons. So let's not do that, but let's do this. And they got the, the recipe right. They were able to perfect this because not just the animated superhero shows, but then you look at shows like Animaniacs, Pinky and the Brain, Tiny Toon Adventures, uh, let's see, A Pup Named Scooby-Doo. All of these cartoons are coming at a time when these people, again, were raised on this animation and they know what they like and what they don't like. And as a result, you get this phenomenal, I would say, go as far as to say this is during a renaissance of animation for Saturday morning cartoons. Now, now in, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not watching any animated cartoons nowadays that are coming out. I mean, other than like Teen Titans Go uh, when it comes on and I just enjoy watching it. But I, I do uh, think about how would this, this era hold up, you know, 20 years from now. Uh, I just I didn't even realize this watching the Cartoon Network now that I'm, I'm home more because of the self-isolation thing we're going through uh, and putting cartoons on for my daughter. Uh, they, they came out with a new version of He-Man now on the Cartoon Network. Uh, I think it's the Cartoon Network. But it's very no, like... Are you thinking of Thundercats? Because yeah, He-Man yeah, is sorry, yeah, the, yeah, the Thundercats. Uh, it's very like the Teen Titans Go uh, type of deal. Um, so I'm wondering, is there anything now currently that's sort of like the Batman animated series, like the Spider-Man animated series that's not on streaming service. I'm not talking about the Star Wars Clone Wars, things like that. Like, that's on, Yeah, I was going to say, in regards to, on stre- like, I was going to go with a streaming service one, and that would have been Young Justice. Right. Yeah, but, but, but the, the, young st- the, the streaming service, I think, is a little different, only because I think you can get away with a lot more things there uh, that you can't do on, on, on national TV now, still nowadays. Oh, yeah. I would yeah. say some of the animated stuff that's on Disney XD, if that's still a thing, but... Again, there's a lot of, like, Cartoon Network, Disney XD, they have all of this solid content out there. And, again, it, it's the, I would also say now, this generation of animation is the stuff inspired by the 90s stuff. Right. Because these people are, you know, 20 years older, et cetera, et cetera. They're in the industry. They're doing their thing. And I'm also noticing they're taking what they like of that stuff but adding more of an adult twist to it. That's why if you look at shows like Adventure Time, regular shows, Steven Universe, the uh, Triforce of Cartoon Network in the past 10 years, there's a lot of really great stuff in there that just works. And they, again, it's also a generation, that stuff is a generation inspired not just by the Saturday morning cartoons, but also on top of that, animation like The Simpsons, the Critic, King of the Hill, uh, Early Family Guy, just stuff like that that you can see in that animation's DNA, and they're going off doing their own thing and making it work oh so well. Right. And, uh, and I also think, you think, if we go back to the 90s, because, uh, you know, during the 94, I was in high school, uh, I mean, every generation has, you know, affiliation, I mean, a big uh, love of anime uh, cartoons, but back then in the 90s, anime cartoons to me, to me at that time were still new in sort of the culture. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, when Kira came out and all of that, and, and you know, I went to an art high school in it, and uh, you know, Dragon Ball Z was huge, and I feel like that that generation now is growing up, and like I said, is now working in the, in the industry, and is really has been inspired by that uh, that type of uh, animation. And you can see like T Titans Go and the new uh, Thundercats. It has a very you know, uh, you know, animation, uh, you know, Japan uh, animation uh, sort of feel to it. Well, one of the things that Personally, I don't like about DC's current output of work is that anime feel to it, and I feel a lot of my biggest gripe of things like the the uh, Omara Batman universe, where it's just very stilted dialogue, it's very bland reads, but you don't have the heart that the Dini stuff had. You don't have the heart that the Marvel animation at the time had. Instead, it's very bland takes, and it's, it is very action-oriented, but I feel like they put more of an emphasis on the action now with the DC stuff than they do the storytelling or the voice direction. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, because that was one of the things I loved about the Batman anime series, uh, was it was well done cartoon-wise. I love the Art Deco look to it. Um, it harked back to the, you know, the Batman 89 movie with the theme song and Danny Elfman, and it had good stories. And I think you ultimately, like, you know, stories get you, no matter how bad the animation is or how good the animation is. If it doesn't have a good storyline, you're not going to watch it in the and long one term. one of the things also on the topic of Batman uh, 92, Batman the Animated Series, the other big influence on it was the Fleischer Superman cartoons from the 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that Art Deco feel. That is absolutely cribbed from that Fleischer era. And... I love them for that because it makes it feel special. It makes it feel like the reason so many people talk about Batman, the animated series over so many others during that time is the fact of the grandiose uh, element of how it looks and just that it was different than anything else going at that time, even long after, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. I got nothing. well, that's all, that's all right. Um, but again, it's just it's such a cool thing to see the evolution of this animation. And a lot of people, you know, nowadays are complaining about how the animation looks with shows like a Steven Universe, a Thundercats, a Teen Titans Go, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I like that. I think it's a product of its time. It's its own thing. It's unique. And you don't need... You just mentioned about the whole aspect of as long as the story's good, it doesn't matter. And that's true. The animation in a Steven Universe or Gravity Falls or Rick and Morty is not top tier, but the storytelling is what makes it great. I agree. So, So, yes, so it would have hold-up ability. Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. going back over to Spider-Man 94, that's what it has. It has that element. It's not the greatest-looking series, but compared to what we used to have, it is very action-oriented. The only thing about it, really, other than, like, the, like I said, that weird redrawn aspect of the series is the CGI, which they utilize in quite a few scenes. The spider, the spidey swinging through the city, and you see the skyscrapers and their CGI skyscrapers. I feel if they just... Were they using CGI in that time, in 94? Oh, yeah. Because 95 was Toy Story. We had Pixar going around doing their, you know, the shorts even before that. 
there is absolutely CGI at this time. And you see these skyscrapers, and they just, it looks like the Spider-Man cartoon just randomly fell into a uh, PlayStation game from 1994. <laughs> and it's, it's unfortunately a knock against the production of this, but at the same time, they could have done basic, you know, backgrounds. But I get why they're doing it. They want this show to stand out on its own, be a unique thing. But unfortunately, it does date the series a little bit. Yeah, I, I would have to mention, though, uh, uh, just go back a little bit to the intro. Uh, like we saw so many characters there, and, and the technical, you know, minor mind. The way I'm thinking is, they must have drawn a lot of the episodes before they debuted. Oh, absolutely. Um, mm. So you take maybe a year, two years in production just drawing the cartoons because you know a lot. Of the intro has a whole bunch of characters that we don't even see yet by that time. Yeah, so I'm wondering, you know, what, what came first? Or would they just drew the intro just like that? And just did that, you know, knowing these characters are going to be in, or were these taken for full episodes already done? But. Well, I mean, if you look at uh, X Men: The Animated Series in 1992, and then you continue the series on in '93. 1993, X-Men is the only show going at the time. So I imagine in October of 92, they're like, oh, crap, this series is doing really well. Let's get everything else out. And if you notice, 1994 is the year everything starts coming into production. You have Iron Man, you have Incredible Hulk, you have Fantastic Four, and, of course, you have Spider-Man. And all these shows are coming out at the same exact time, and they have around the same number of episodes, give or take. I think the other series are about 20-something episodes, but Spidey lasts all the way until 19, early 1998. But it's just, it's one of those things where there's, I would say, the success of X-Men was what predicated getting all of the other shows out. And that's, that's what's cool about this, because you can see... Oh, X Men did really well. Oh, we better capitalize on that. Yep. Good long run, Spidey. I, I concur. I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> you know, the only thing I'm going to touch back I didn't mention before was that when you said they uh, kidified it uh, or or didn't really do it too much, but made it palatable for many different age group audiences. If you really wanted to kidify it, then you go to uh, the Spidey Super Stories thing. Yeah, but we don't want that because the writing in that is god awful. <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and oh. then there'll be then there'll be the random uh, uh, Spidey episode in uh, what the Electric Company. Well, my my thing is in regards to the Spidey super stories. I've attempted to read the Thanos one, and mm-hmm. it is one of the most unintentionally hilarious comics I've ever read in my life. Oh my god, go Where look for at it the now. very end, Thanos gets arrested by the police and they put him in a squad car. I think it. <laughs> if you know the character Thanos, you know Thanos is not going to be like. Oh, well, shucks, Officer uh, McGinty. I guess you're going to arrest me. Let me put my hands behind my back. No, it's not going to happen. He's going <laughs> to throw a moon at Officer McGinty reduce, and his children. And reduce him to a pile of ashes, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But this is a no, but this some, is a no-smoking comic book, so there. Uh, but that's what I like about that era of animation. It, it doesn't insult the viewer's intelligence. And that's honestly what this generation of animation is doing. It's not insulting the intelligence of the people that are watching this. Because they yeah. realize, well, we know that you understand this, so we're not going to dumb it down. We're not going to simplify it. I like that. 
Whereas sometimes some animation can be like 70s, 80s can be very rough to watch because they're like, oh, they, they're realizing this is for a seven-year-old or they're realizing it's for a four-year-old. Like, like, like so the He-Man cartoons, that like I, you know, I loved He-Man growing up, um, and I recently just, like I said, watched a, a couple of He-Man cartoons on, on YouTube, and uh, I mean, it didn't hold up well. Like, I enjoyed watching He-Man, but I was like, wow, this is really corny, and, you know, the acting, the voice acting, the writing wasn't great, you know? Uh, I, it was nice to see a nostalgic uh, aspect of it, you know, I, was like, oh, I remember watching it as a kid, but I was like, wow, this is really, uh, really corny and really uh, not well done. <laughs> I, I would also say, like, you look back at, like, the 1960s, 1970s Hanna-Barbera stuff, and they're made by people who did stuff like the Tom and Jerry MGM shorts. They're done by people who did the Warner Brothers cartoons where they were played before a movie, before adults. And they still have that element of, we know some of this is for kids, but this is also for the adults that are there because, well, we're the ones making it. We might as well make something that, you know, that'll pop us, you know? Mm-hmm. And instead, or I mean, as a result, you get those cartoons that you can watch a Huckleberry Hound cartoon nowadays and still be just as entertained as someone would have been in 1960 something. Right. Yeah, the, the, those, old, those older Warner Brothers cartoons uh, had a lot of adult themes in there that really goes over a lot of people's heads uh, when you first watch them, and now you watch it as, a, as an older doe, you're like, oh, I can't believe they got away with that. Especially the Looney Tunes cartoons, which I always, I always uh, equated them to this. I think I've done it on a previous episode, but Warner Brothers are the General Mills of uh, cartoons. And you look at the General Mills characters, they're a little bit more with quote-unquote attitude in there. And then you have the Kellogg's characters, who are the Disney characters. They're very, gosh, super innocent, super this. But the Looney Tunes compared have a little bit more pizzazz and a little bit more oomph, you know? Right. Like, I'm sorry, if I'm going to pick a character, I'm not going to choose Snap, Crackle, and Pop over uh, Count Chocula, Frankenberry, and Booberry. That's just me. Because <laughs> uh, they're spooky. I never had Count Chocula uh, cereal. I'm trying to see I had the berry one. I'm not sure. Wait, are you are you a blueberry guy, Patricio? Uh, I'm not sure. I I, I remember. Uh, I really like the like Captain Crunch peanut butter. I like that. Um, I respect that. I do like like uh, fruity candy. I don't know if that's the right word to say, but I, I'm not fruity candy. Fruity cereal. But I'm trying I'm to see. I don't think I ever had one of those berry ones. Well, you got Fruit Loops. You got Fruity Pebbles. Mm. I, I fruity Pebbles over Fruit Loops. What All right. about Fruit Loops was. These damn things kept floating around. What about... It never, it never felt full. The Fruity Pebbles, it got soggy. It got, you know, weighed down. It was like, it was, it was, you're having a meal of sugar. But it was, uh, you know. <laughs> and then you've got uh, tricks. Tricks. Yeah, I, I never liked the tricks either. It was too late. I loved tricks back in the day, but then they changed the, the uh, shit to them. Yeah. As an adult now, like, I mean, my favorite cereal right now is Grape Nuts, but... That oh. is, oh, God. That's like the most adult thing I could hear on this show today. Uh, hey, listen, you have the grape nuts, you got to let the milk silk sit in there a little bit so all the grape nuts, you know, gets the milk and it gets a little pasty in there. Oh, it's fantastic. Personally, I'm an original recipe, crackling oat brand kind of guy. Uh, and, and not only that, it helps with you, you go into the bathroom, too, because, you know, fiber. So, so does crackling oat brand. <laughs> fiber. Well, that definitely took a different turn. So, gentlemen, 
I think this is going to wrap this episode up, but Patricio, thank you for being on the show today and talking with us about Spider-Man the Animated Series. No problem, and I, I thank you for letting me uh, uh, tell me about it, because like I said, I didn't grow up on, on Spider-Man the Animated Series. I now have Disney Plus uh, for The Mandalorian, but now after The Mandalorian finished, I'm like, what do I do with this? Yeah. You know, I watched every Star Wars movie ten times already. I mean, more than ten times, obviously, but... Mm. I have to go explore more of these cartoons uh, uh, that I w- haven't watched in the past, and uh, and actually, like I say, actually, I wasn't blown over by the by the Spider-Man cartoons. It wasn't like, oh my God, this is the most great animated series ever. It was. I enjoyed hearing uh, Mark Hamill, uh, and it did interest me in watching the rest of the series. So, yeah, and honestly, like I said, there's just a lot about this era that is it's like a security blanket to like my age, you know, where it's still, I can put it on and I don't really need to follow all of it, but I get the general gist of it and I still have a good time watching it, you know? Yes. So Patricio, one more time before we go, how can people get a hold of you on social media? Well, uh, if you want to get a hold of me on social media, I make it easy. All my social media contacts are, are my name. Or is my name? It's Patricio Robayo, which is P A T R I C I O. Last name Robayo, R O B A Y O. And you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You're not just a journalist, but you're also a photographer. And if you're in the area by Patricio, he does photography work. And I cannot recommend him enough. As a matter of fact, during our iconic episode with Marcus Ruffalo, close personal friend of the show, Marcus Ruffalo. Marcus. He came on the show, and we had Patricio there as our on-site photographer. And if you've seen the photos, you know they're pretty damn good. So, yeah. And thank thank you for that experience, because uh, not being involved with you guys, I don't think I've ever met Mark Ruffalo in that capacity, and uh, that was one of the most uh, nerve-wracking things (laughs) I've done, uh, just to be... uh, in his presence that close and uh, that that uh, casual. So. You just don't know, what do I do? How do I, uh, anything, right? I know you're sitting... And, and at the end of the day, listen, he, he's a normal guy, just like all of us, you know, puts his pants on like most of us. I'm not sure how Peter puts his pants on, but most of us puts our pants on one leg at a time and... You know, I do we all poop, so... Marcus does... It, Marcus. I'm, I'm calling him Marcus now. Very different, <laughs> varying sizes. That's really, you know, something. But that's a whole size thing. Yeah, exactly. Um... Sometimes they're purple. Yes, that's exactly. And stretch, too. And Patricio yeah, yeah. also, you know, if, if given the opportunity, was the designated, I think, uh, pet photographer for our local coming up for the Easter season. I think that got put by the wayside, though, right? Yeah, unfortunately, because the uh, concerns with COVID-19, they postponed the, uh, the Easter, Easter pets with photos with Easter. I mean, uh, have your pet taken with uh, an Easter bunny, something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that got canceled, and uh, obviously it's not going to be postponed because you know Easter is going to come and go. Uh, but hopefully, you know things are back to normal somewhat in the in the winter. Uh, I'll be doing the pet photos with Santa. Uh, it usually happens in late November, early December. Uh, last year it was it got canceled also because of the weather. Uh, hopefully, you know uh, there is still a world out there by the time this fall um, that we you know we can have that to happen. But who knows? That's right. All right. Well, thanks again, Patricio, for the time. We appreciate it. No problem. Thank you guys for having me. So, for The Marvelous, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Patricio Robayo. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior! It's another edition of Obsessed with Marvel. Your chance to hear and find out how well or little we know about the Marvel Universe with a choice of four answers. Patricio Robayo 
remains with us. Here is question number 1,626. Who reads, who was the Red Raja? Raja is spelled R-A-J-A-H. Who was the Red Raja in The Defenders? Issues 43 to 45. This is about in 1977. The Red Raja. Dr. Druid. Dr. Strange. Baron Mordo. Or Thog. T-H-O-G. Thog the Netherspawn. Who was the Red Raja in The Defenders? Dr. Druid. Red Raja. You guys don't have any kind of, like, like thinking music? Like, then, 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 no? John, I want you to use for all of these from now on. By Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. Please, for the love of God, use Herb Alpert and Teal on a Brasses. Spanish Because that is perfect. Not every every time, but anyway. The Red Raja and the Defenders, Dr. Druid, Dr. Strange, Baron Mordo, or Thog the Neverspawn. Neverspawn, yeah. I would be a total guess if I uh, tried to take one, and I'm going to have to. The Red Raja. Dr. Druid has to be it. Has to be it, he says. Okay. Yeah, it feels like it, because Dr. Druid was, uh, or no, I've <laughs> read those issues. Okay. I think it was Dr. Strange. Could be a code name. So, if anything, I'm familiar, well, I'm mean, familiar with most of these names, except for Thog, but um, I guess we can try Dr. Strange. You going to go along with us, Patricio? I'm going to say no, not Dr. Strange. Okay. Do you have a different selection? Uh, no, but it's not Dr. Strange. <laughs> All right, just for that, let's hit B and see what we got. It is Dr. Strange. Boom, uh, yeah, yeah. He must have been undercover, under cloak of levitation or something like that. Dr. Druid was, I think, like a mid to late 70s character or something, because I remember him uh, in the yeah. like 90s stuff especially. Well, he Dr. Was Druid was definitely character. around and, and from 77 when these defenders run, so it could have been. Under the right circumstance or storyline, it could have been him, but um, yeah. Doctor Strange wins, so let's not overthink that one. And I don't know why Red Raja could have been, depending on what location they were they were doing the comic book in. I don't know. They were overseas, a different land. Question number 1,076. Who was Armor. not... Who was not a member of the Mad Thinker's Triumvirate of Terror... In the Avengers number 39, which is out in 67. So this specific issue, Avengers number 39, who was not a member of the Mad Thinker's Triumvirate of Terror. And the choice... Archduke Franz Ferdinand. <sighs> who was not a you member? You know I'm right, though. I have to read the choices first, Patricio. He just doesn't let me. Yeah. Hammerhead 1, it says. Bulldozer. Piledriver 1. Or Thunderboot. Oh, boy. Who was not a member of the Mad Thinker's Triumvirate of Terror? Hammerhead 1, Bulldozer, Piledriver 1, or Thunderboot? This is a shot in the dark also. I have no idea, so whatever you guys think. Well, apparently there was more than one Hammerhead and Piledriver. Okay, what were the options again? Let me just make sure I have the the question right. Who was was not in the group? Not a member of this group, Triumvirate of Terror, because otherwise it would be four people. No, I don't know. Uh, Hammerhead one, bulldozer, pile driver one, or Thunderboot. I the the weirdest name to me sounds like Thunderboot. So I'm or yeah, I'm, I'm going with Thunderboot too. So let's just. I, I've never heard of that name. Okay, D. It is not the answer. It, it's bulldozer. Okay. Oh. Not a member. All right. Go so the others were. Thunderboot. 
I'll never forget his iconic first appearance in. In yeah, mm-hmm. okay, okay, two thousand four hundred ninety. It's almost at the end of the book. Two thousand four hundred ninety-five. How do you measure measure a year? Yeah. Two four. Oh wow, almost there. One more page. Two four nine five. Here we go. When Mister Justice was a boy. Whose sidekick was he? All right. The choices are the Patriot, Black Fox, the Spirit of 76, or Yankee Clipper. Yikes. Mm. Mr. Justice was a boy. Whose sidekick was he? The Patriot, Black Fox, the Spirit of 76, or Yankee Clipper? And unfortunately, I don't know any of these characters enough to know that they had a sidekick. So... Mr. Justice was my father's name. Don't call me that. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh oh. I would say uh, 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 Yankee Clipper. Yankee Clipper had a sidekick. Okay. Was he? What were the first two again? The Patriot and Black Fox. Patriot seems like the more likely one. Because Patriot and Truth, Justice, and the American Way. Oh like well, well. If you're reaching, I was kind of thinking maybe just Patriot. So let's try that. Yeah. No, the answer. Is Yankee Clipper. All right. Look at that. I think we have to stop right there. Way to go, Patricio. All right. We're out.